Hi, I'm Paul Shepard, your Mindset Coach, and welcome to the Mindset Change Podcast, where you can be inspired and learn how to transform your mindset so you can create the life you truly want to live. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Shauna Shapiro, who is a clinical psychologist, professor, internationally recognized expert on mindfulness, and best-selling author of books, including the classic book, Good Morning, I Love You. Dr. Shauna Shapiro's TEDx talk, The Power of Mindfulness, is an absolute must-see, and it's been viewed over two million times. And welcome, Shauna. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So the show is called Mindset Change, and I wanted to ask you, so we're going to dive right in, why do you think it's so hard for people to change? Is there a part of us that doesn't want to be happy? Is it a lack of willpower, desire, or is there something else? Mm. Well, I think it's a complex question, but I'll give you what I think is the most um, kind of important variable in why people don't change. It's because they keep doing the same things. So the way that change happens, it's not like you just flip a switch that instantaneously turns off the bad and turns on the good. Change happens in increments over time, and it requires practice. It requires creating new neural pathways. And so what happens is for someone who, let's say, is depressed, they keep practicing the same thought patterns, the same emotional pathways, the same behaviors, so it doesn't change. That change actually arises from doing something different. And, and so, yes, there are, there are other you know, unconscious factors, and there's, of course, mindset plays a huge role. Um, whether or not you believe you can change is incredibly important and scientifically predictive of whether or not you will change. But it comes down to practice. You know, one of my favorite phrases is what you practice grows stronger. And it's true, right? This is the foundation of neuroplasticity. Whatever repeated thoughts, behaviors, emotions that you're practicing day in, day out, those are the pathways that are getting stronger. If you want to change, you have to do something different. And why do you think it is that people struggle to practice especially something like mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness changed my life in ways I couldn't have imagined. You know, I had an anxiety disorder and I, you know, it's one of these things which I began to discover. I didn't get it. Um, And I I sort of dipped my toe in and out. So when someone told me that thoughts were not real, I was like, what? What are you talking about? I'm thinking it. So it must mean something. What do you think it is that we, what is it about mindfulness itself that, we struggle with. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't say it's just mindfulness. I'd say it's the things that are good for us. We struggle with going to bed on time. We struggle with not drinking too much and we struggle with not overeating and we struggle with our relationship to social media. And so I think for a lot of us, especially in this culture of kind of instant gratification, it's very challenging um, to engage in behaviors where we don't see the benefit immediately. And mindfulness is one of those things where for some people, there's immediate benefit and it radically changes their life. And for other people, it's kind of this slow burn and that the changes are subtle, but significant. And so I think the first step in any kind of behavior change, but especially starting a meditation practice is to set your intention and to really know why you're practicing, to have this motivation that doesn't come just from the outcome, that moment, but a, like kind of a longer term direction, right? It's not a 
necessarily a destination. It's a, it's a movement, a progress towards. So I think that's really important in starting a, a mindfulness practice or in any behavior change. The other thing is we have this idea that like we should immediately get it. We should immediately be good at something that there's almost this kind of True. perfectionism where we hold ourselves to these unrealistic standards of expectations. And then we beat ourselves up when we inevitably don't meet them. And so part of the practice and what I tell all of my patients and clients and students is to have, you know, a very compassionate mindset and also to set ridiculously unambitious goals, <laughs> like to set goals that are simple, that are attainable, that you can practice over time, even if it's two minutes a day, you start there. Now, I wish I'd had you as a teacher because I was so hard on myself learning mindfulness. I thought I don't get it. I'm not good at it. So I, I think it's also my ego. I just I felt so ashamed that I just wasn't getting it straight away. I felt like a failure. So I, I pretty much gave up. But I kept being drawn back to it. And you talk about uh, in your uh, latest book, um, uh, Good Morning, uh, I Love You. You talk about three elements of uh, mindfulness, which I'd not seen it written this way before. Can you can you tell us what they are? Absolutely. So there's three core elements of mindfulness. My colleagues and I developed this model because you're not the only one who got confused about mindfulness and who mm -hmm. kind of beat themselves up for not doing it, quote, right. So a lot of times people think that their mind is not supposed to wander. And when it wanders off, they're like, crap, I'm terrible at this. And they quit. Yeah. And so the first element of mindfulness that we talk about is your attention. And we explain to people that part of mindfulness is training your attention. Part of mindfulness is knowing that your attention wanders 47% of the time, that, that you're, you're, you're spaced out half of your life. That, that, and that's the average human being. That's not just you. You're wow. not the failure. And so, right. So mindfulness teaches us to train and stabilize this, this attention to start to cultivate it. But as you start to do that, there's so many different things to pay attention to. And so you have to reflect on why are you paying attention? What's important? So this is your intention. What do you care about? What do you okay. value? Right. We have a yeah. million different choices. So even for people listening right now, why are you listening? You could be putting your attention so many other places, but you're listening to this conversation. You're listening to my voice in this moment. Why is that important to you? And then you ask yourself, well, maybe I want more peace in my life or more clarity or maybe I want to be less hard on myself, less judgmental. So that's your intention. And so as your intention motivates you, it helps you focus your attention. And our intentions, they're not just psychological, they're neurochemical. When we set an intention, dopamine is released, this neuromodulator of motivation and learning, and dopamine stamps down to the brain and the nervous system and the rest of the body. It says, hey, this is important. Pay attention. So if your goal is to be more present with your children, or your goal is to eat healthier, or your goal is just peace. By setting that intention, you're neurochemically inviting that into your day-to-day -day life. So intention is the first element. Attention is the second element. And the third element, the most important and the most overlooked, is your attitude. 
how you pay attention. Most of us, just like you, we judge ourselves. We criticize ourselves. We feel like I'm not doing it right. I'm not good enough. Not just the meditation practice, but our lives, right? If you watch yourself move, right? We, We move through the day and we say, gosh, I'm so impatient or I shouldn't have done that or... I can hear the dryer going off in the background, that little tune, and I think, oh, I should have turned it off. You know, what's wrong with me? I wasn't very mindful before this podcast. But instead of judging myself, what I could do is just notice, right? Make a mental note. Next time I'll do that and let it go. And I'm going to tell you why that's important. When I judge myself, the learning centers of the brain shut down. This is very important. When really? you judge or shame, yes, this is the truth. When wow. you judge or shame yourself, Learning centers of the brain shut down and all your resources get shuttled to survival pathways. Shame literally robs the brain of the resources it needs to do the work of changing. If you want to learn something new, you cannot do it with shame. And the surprising alternative is this attitude of kindness. To treat yourself with kindness, even when you've messed up. Now, this doesn't let you off the hook. What it does is kindness bathes your system in dopamine. It turns on the learning centers of the brain, turns on the motivation centers of the brain, and helps you see clearly what you did so that next time you can do it differently. I will definitely not leave the dryer alarm on for my next (laughs) podcast because I paid attention with kindness, right? I didn't shame myself. Absolutely. I I love that. So these are the three. Yeah. uh, those, Those are the three. Uh, elements so I really like what what are the things I when I was drawn to your work and um actually I, I you know I was talking to someone at my gym and I said oh I'm interviewing Dr. Shauna Shapiro soon and she said she said oh that's the queen of mindfulness I saw her TEDx talk <laughs> and what are the things I was, when I was when I was drawn to your work was um I think some things that can put some people off of mindfulness is it can sound a bit woo-woo and for some people, they're not quite in that spiritual place. They want this, They want something maybe scientific-based. And you talk about the science brilliantly in your work. You know, mm-hmm. so I just would like to go into... Thank you. I would the, rather, in, <laughs> instead of being the queen of mindfulness, I, I want to be the, the, science, the science of mindfulness. How's that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll remind them. I, it just made me laugh because I said they knew you from your work and they love the science <laughs> aspect of it as much as I did. So can you tell me more about why is science, uh, why, is the, why is mindfulness so important when it comes to science? The science of the yes. Brain? So in, in a, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my personal story because, you know, I was raised in a family of scientists. Every single person in my family is a professor. So woo-woo wow. was not allowed in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember <laughs> when, when I started meditating and I remember... I, it, it, I, 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 was, I was introduced to the practice actually because I had spinal fusion surgery. I was 17 years old and I had scoliosis and it had progressed so significantly pretty much overnight that it was about to puncture my lungs. What, so can, I had this emergency what, spinal fusion. Can I ask what scoliosis is? Is this for anyone listening? Oh, yeah. Scoliosis is the curvature of the spine and okay. mine was, was, progressing. So it's curving so rapidly and so sharply, it was going to puncture my lungs. So I was 17 years old and 
I was star of the volleyball team. I just signed for a scholarship to university. And overnight, I was lying in a hospital bed, not able to walk in this hospital bed for, for six months. So there was a lot of physical pain, but you can imagine the emotional pain of, will I ever walk again? Will I ever play volleyball again? Which I never did play volleyball again, but I, I, I struggled with these fears of the future, which were real. They weren't just made up. Um, and also regrets about the past. You know, I wish I had done that, or if only I'd done this. And it was creating so much anxiety and so much depression, so much stress. And it was at this time I was introduced to mindfulness, which what mindfulness does is it brings you into the present moment where usually things are okay. They're not perfect. I was still in pain, but I wasn't crushing myself with these fears of the future. And I wasn't regretting the past. And so as I started to practice mindfulness, I started to notice these moments of peace. And it didn't take away my pain and wow. it didn't take away all of the fear, but I, I felt like I could breathe again. And, and as I continued to practice, um, and as I continued to heal, eventually two years later, I went to Thailand and Nepal to kind of really experience meditation, to, to go to my first meditation retreat and to really dive in. And I'll get back to the woo-woo part in a moment because <laughs> that's already standing woo-woo enough. So, so I, I, did, I was there for a few months. I, I went to a silent meditation retreat. And what I experienced at that retreat was that for the first time since my surgery, my body wasn't in pain. And it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever experienced. Now, I will tell you, it's, I've had lots of pain since then. So it didn't miraculously cure me. Okay. But for whatever reason, it, it took away the pain for a short amount of time. And there was a peace that I felt that I had never experienced before. And I was so surprised and awed by this um, that when I came back, because I come from a science family, I decided to get my PhD and to study scientifically mindfulness so that I could better understand what I had experienced. And more importantly, so I could teach it to others. And that began, that was 20 some years ago. And I've now published over 150 scientific articles and written four books. And That's what insane. I can tell you as a scientist, <laughs> right, as a scientist, not as a woo-woo person, but as a scientist yeah. is that mindfulness work. It's good for you. It reduces depression. It reduces anxiety. It decreases our stress. It helps us sleep better. It improves your immune functioning. It improves your ability to learn and remember and pay attention. There are so many benefits of mindfulness. It's not a cure-all, but it works. Did, um, there was uh, some articles recently talking about some of the drawbacks to mindfulness. Do you know of any drawbacks to mindfulness? As in, yeah, I don't know if you know, the, um, there was a Andrew Haffenbrack talked about in the Journal of Personality and Social uh, Psychology that it reduces guilt. Yeah, Willoughby Willoughby Britton has done some of that work, which is really Mm. important work. Um, Here's what I'll say. With everything, there's there's potential and pitfall. Um, I think with mindfulness, it's really important to have a teacher, someone who is you're working with, either a coach or a therapist or a meditation teacher who is monitoring your progress. With anything that is powerful and effective, 
you want to make sure you're doing it right. So some of the dangers to watch for are what I've seen. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've worked with lots of people. Sometimes people can use mindfulness to dissociate from their pain. So instead of using it to, um, to kind of face the pain and go in and through what they say is, Oh, that's just a thought or that's just an, an emotion. And they start to distance themselves and they use it as a retreat. So one, one important thing to understand about mindfulness is not a way to ignore what's happening or say, Oh, I don't need to worry about the future because I'm in the present moment. It's a way to face whatever's happening with kindness and with presence. So that's one pitfall. Another, another one could be if someone dives into the pain and hasn't built this muscle of kindness and compassion for themselves, mm. this attitude that we were talking about, and all of a sudden they're in their depression and then they start beating themselves up and judging themselves for being depressed, it's going to spiral and become worse. And that's why you need a teacher who, I remember one of my teachers, she said to me, notice the tone of your voice when your mind wanders off. Are you beating yourself up like, darn it, Shauna, get back here? Or is it sweet? Is it kind? Is it like, sweetheart, come back? And these little pointers from teachers are incredibly important because it's a slippery slope, right? It's kind of the razor's edge between which direction you go with mindfulness practice. I think that's such a good reminder of, and you know, really cultivating that kindness. And I was reading through the the, the journal, and it did say uh, that the, an antidote, if you want to call it an antidote, would be a loving kindness meditation. Which I looked on your website, you can have, you can get as a download. Yes, it's free. Go to my website. So, <laughs> one of the most important discoveries of my whole life was loving kindness practice. Hmm. And when I've been practicing meditation, I was about. 29 years old. So I've been practicing for, you know, about 10 years. And Jack Cornfield was one of my main teachers. And I got pregnant when I was 30 years old. And I remember him saying, you need to start a loving kindness practice. And I said, no, no, no. I love my mindfulness practice. My mind is sharp and clear and attentive and focused. And I don't really need that woo woo loving kindness stuff. And he said, oh, no, you do. And he said, if you're going to bring a baby into the world and you're going to be a mother, you need to learn how to really open your heart. And so I started practicing loving kindness for my child in my belly and, and for myself and for my family. And it truthfully has been one of the most powerful practices. I do it still every day since then. It's been 17 years. (laughs) And since, since uh, I gave birth to my son, who's now 17 years old. And it's one of the most beautiful practices because what loving kindness does is it trains the heart in kindness, in unconditional caring for yourself and for other people. And I think it's a beautiful pairing with mindfulness because if you're very judgmental and critical mindfulness, you know, you might not notice that you're kind of judging yourself the whole time Mm. and then you're strengthening that pathway. In fact, I'll I'll tell you another story from the monastery because this is one of my favorites. So when I got there, I didn't know much about meditation. I had just been reading a ton about it, but I never had a teacher and I'd never really even meditated, you know, that, that I, you know, formally at least. And so I get to the monastery and the monks didn't speak very much English and I didn't speak any Thai, but they explained to me mindfulness was about paying attention. And they said, the way to focus your mind and train it, like you go to the gym, right, is to feel your breath 
going in and out of your nose. So I began one breath, two breaths. My mind wandered off. I brought it back. One breath, two, wandered again. And just like you, no matter how hard I tried, my mind kept wandering off. And I started to judge myself. What's wrong with you? You're terrible at this. Why are you even here? What are you, what were you thinking? You're a fake. And luckily a, a monk arrived who spoke English and he asked how I was doing. And I said, you know, I'm so frustrated. I, I feel so terrible at this. I'm impatient. I'm judging myself. And then he looked at me and he said, oh, you're not practicing mindfulness. You're practicing judgment, impatience, frustration. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said oops. five words I'll never forget. Yeah. Oops. He said, what you practice grows stronger. What you practice grows stronger. He helped okay. me understand that mindfulness is not just about attention. It's about how you pay attention with this attitude of kindness. And sometimes you need to actually practice that kindness. You can't just turn it on. And that's where the loving kindness practice is so helpful. Again, it's hearing you talk about that and just hearing you talk about what you practice makes you, you know, what goes stronger. So if you practice judgment, it's going to go stronger. And, and, it's, and again, it's, it forms as part of neuro, neuroplasticity, that natural exactly. brain pattern. So it becomes, it becomes uh, subconscious. It becomes something that we do automatically. Exactly. And then when you asked me at the beginning of our conversation, why don't people change? It's because they don't even know that they're practicing these pathways of self-judgment. And so what mindfulness does is it brings into the light of awareness. It helps you see clearly your, your patterning. And it helps you clarify your values, your intentions, so that you can get back on course. And you don't have to change overnight. I always say to people, 5% more, right? Can I be 5% kinder, 5% less judgmental? Can I focus my attention 5% more? These little 5% increments, they, they have huge um, significance. They're subtle, but they're significant. No, I'm a big fan of Tiny Habits. Uh, I follow uh, BJ Fogg's yes. Tiny Habits book and wonderful book in regards to just uh, doing small little things and adding it into your daily routine. And before you know it, it becomes subconscious. Talking of um, routines, I mean, a non-negotiable for me besides uh, mindfulness meditation is journaling. And your new book mm. is a journal. So that was a surprise. I think yes. I was like, oh, okay. So went through and not only is it a journal, it has lots of nuggets of science in it. It's got some amazing quotes. Mm -hmm. um, what is, you know, why is it a journal? Why is journaling? I know it's why journaling is important to me. You know, it's a, it's a non-negotiable. Why is yeah. journaling important to you? Well, so here's what happened. I, I wrote my, my book that came out a year ago um, of all of the science of mindfulness called Good Morning, I Love You. And in fact, in, in, in Europe, it's called Rewire Your Mind. Um, apparently, Good Morning, I Love You didn't translate into British. <laughs> Well, I'm joking a little bit, but they thought rewire your mind would, would fit better. So it's under okay. both titles, but I, it, it did surprisingly well. It was a huge success and a bestseller. And I had lots and lots of people writing me saying, thank you so much. But now what they say you write in your book, what you practice grows stronger. And there are lots of practices in that book, but they said, I want to, you know, actually practice. And when I reflected on it, the reason I wrote this journal was to give people a three month 
roadmap to practice. So every day there's a, a prompt, a quote for you to journal, but there's also meditation practices. And like you mentioned, the science behind them. And my goal was to keep it really simple. So it's five minutes a day for three months where you can literally rewire your mind. Wow. What's your, um, you talk, there's some wonderful quotes from the book. I loved Tim Ferriss's, uh, sometimes I fight my demons, sometimes I snuggle with them. What, have you got a favorite quote that stands yeah. out for you? One of my favorite quotes is, um, have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. That's by Rilke. And for me, I hold that quote so dear because so often we think we should know. We think we should be able to like figure everything out right away or know the right answer. And part of life is just asking the questions and letting yourself live your way into them, letting yourself be guided. And so that quote is absolutely one of my favorites. Another one is be kind to past versions of yourself that didn't know what you know now. And that also I think is just beautiful. This, this reminding us that when perfection isn't possible, all of us make mistakes. How can we hold ourselves and others with compassion? I think that's where a loving kindness comes in, doesn't it? That we can be really hard yeah. on our past selves and, and, and form that judgment of in, oh, I wish I'd done this. You just, I was so stupid. And, and it just, again, something that we keep practicing and again, it becomes stronger. Um, in the book, I did notice that there are some morning and evening practices. Could you talk me through those? Yes. So morning and evening are the most important times to practice, whatever your practice is. It can be meditation. It can be journaling. It could be yoga or any kind of self-care. But the morning and the evening are your mood in the morning and the evening are the best predictors of your overall health longevity, the health of your mitochondria, the body's energy battery, and the length of your telomeres, which are the best predictor of our age. So, so what's important and why I focus the journal on that is that these times of day, these kind of bookends to your day, the beginning and the end are very important. And so I created practices that could go there to help kind of support and strengthen your mood, which is so predictive of your health. And so we begin each morning with a different practice. And then each evening is a gratitude practice, which has been shown not only to be important for your physical and mental health, but also to help you sleep better. So it's a way to kind of gently enter the, the sleep world. Wow. So, so even those practices are based in science. That's what I love about your work. Um, Absolutely. Everything is based in science. That's what, but there's one thing. I mean, I did look at it when I saw... And I, I guess what you mentioned about the title, not translating to English, Good Morning, I Love You. I think some people will go, oh, that feels really cheesy, cringy. Um, it's not for me. And yet, when they get past that, it can be life-changing. So um, how did you get past yes. it? When you were doing that, you know, oh, Shauna, I love you. What was that like for you? Well, I'm so glad you asked this. And I think maybe we'll end with, with this practice because it's one of the most important ones I've learned. And it was hard. And so as you're listening to me talk about it, I want people to realize that this one, it can trigger this kind of sense of, ooh, it's mushy or awkward. Mm. Um, and in fact, when I titled my book, Good Morning, I Love You, the publisher said, are you crazy? This is you, this is a science book, you know, you're, you're, you're going to ruin your name with, <laughs> with good morning. I love you. But the reason I did is because it's such an important practice to me. 
So when I was going through a very challenging divorce um, some years ago, um, I was filled with this kind of sense of shame really is the right word for it. A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, but tremendous shame, this sense of I should have been able to make it work. I'm a psychologist. I'm a meditator. Why couldn't I fix my marriage? And my teacher suggested I start practicing loving kindness and compassion for myself. And she said, I want you to start saying, I love you, Shauna, every day. And I was like, no way. (laughs) It felt so inauthentic, right? I mean, that's not how I felt. I felt crappy. I wasn't going to say I love you. So she saw my my hesitation and she said, how about just saying good morning, Shauna? When you wake up, put your hand on your heart, take a breath and just say good morning. Just greet yourself with kindness. And so I started practicing that. I'd wake up, put my hand on my heart. It actually releases oxytocin when you do that, which is the kind of love and safety hormone. So it's, it's good for you. And I'd just say good morning, Shauna. And it was kind of nice, right? Instead of the avalanche of shame and judgment and fear, I would just start my day with this moment of peace. And as I continued to practice, I started noticing little shifts in my day, like a little less harshness, a little more gentleness. And a few months later, it was my birthday. I was completely alone. My son was with his father and I woke up preparing to do my good morning practice. And all of a sudden this image of my grandmother, my Nana came to me. And she had recently passed and I loved her. She was, she was my person in the world. And it was like the dam around my heart burst. And I said, good morning. I love you, Shauna. Happy birthday. And it was this love came pouring in my Nana's love, my mother's love, my, my own self-love. And, you know, I wish I could tell you every day since then has been this miracle of self-love and I've never judged myself again. And that's not true. But what is true is this pathway was established. And it's been growing stronger every day. And so I want to leave people with this practice to maybe even right now, as you're listening, put your hand on your heart and just notice first how that feels. Sometimes it feels awkward and sometimes it feels kind of warm and good. And regardless, it's a gesture of self-kindness, a gesture of self-care. So I want you just to take a moment to feel that and then just greeting yourself, whatever time of day it is, you can say good morning or good afternoon or good evening. I love you. And just see what happens. This is an experiment. It's not supposed to be practice. This is about, I mean, it's not supposed to be perfect. It's about practice. So good morning. I love you. What happens? Feel your breath, relax the body, and just setting an intention to cultivate this self-love is self-kindness. If you're practicing with me, you can put your hand back in your lap and just notice how that felt. I've been practicing since since reading your book. I think it's really, I think it's a really nice way to start a day. I like, I usually say, Paul, today's going to be an awesome day, great day. But I have been adding in, Paul, I love you, you know, and it it does feel nice. And again, you you can feel that. Very, very happy. Yeah, that, that feeling of oxytocin is just lovely. I mean, but again, it's, I was aware of my ego just for a moment going, oh, come on, you know? And I was like, I, I was aware of the ego saying that side of things. And it was nice to let it to say that. And I just carried on anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You say, thank you for your opinion and you keep going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just one more question before we go. And that is, there's a magical morning question, which I think is really important for listeners to hear. 
which I because I, I think it's it, I yeah. think it could be life changing. Um, could you just explain a little bit? about Yeah, that? right. So we have what's called a negativity bias. We tend to focus on the negative, and there's something in the brain called the reticular activating system, which is kind of our filter. And that filter tends to look for what's scary or dangerous because we want to protect ourselves and we want to survive. And evolutionarily, that made sense. But we need to balance it out a little bit. And so I came up with this idea to ask a question in the morning, which I do every morning. I wonder what surprising and magical thing will happen today. And what this does is, besides sounding hokey, it flags to the reticular activating system. Hey, look for something good. Look for something magical, surprising, whatever it is. And it helps kind of swing the pendulum a little bit more towards the good and the beautiful. And so I would invite everyone listening tomorrow morning. You could do your good morning. I love you. And then just say, I wonder what beautiful thing will happen today and then see what happens. So, yeah, I've talked about the reticular activating system a lot on this show. And it's just really lovely to have that reinforced uh, by yourself because it is it's a great question to begin to your day with when I read that in your book I thought I've got to get this mentioned on the show um, mm. if people want to find out more about you um, Shauna where can they find you yes my website is drshaunashapiro.com I always respond to emails so you just go there and send me a note and I will respond or you can follow me on Instagram it's at drshaunashapiro I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'll put all your details in the show notes for people to contact you. Uh, Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful. If you or anyone you know is struggling with anxiety or stress, then I would really recommend New Mind Wellness's Stress Support Formula Supplements. As anyone knows, buying supplements can be costly But this is brilliant because everything is in one tiny sachet. All your vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, ancient herbs and flower remedies and the top essentials I recommend to my clients including ashwagandha, magnesium glycinate and L-theanine. There's even a new probiotic version too. If you'd like to give them a try, you can get 20% discount off of your order by using the code paul 20 in the checkout box. The link is in my show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to contact Dr. Shauna Shapiro, her contact details are within the show notes. If there's anyone else you would like me to interview or a subject you would like me to cover, then please let me know in the Apple podcast comments. Please share, please subscribe, please leave a review and I look forward to connecting with you in the next episode. Have an incredible day.